Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 100. Feels great to have hit this milestone, to have uh, actually started a podcast and gotten this far. I think it's a good benchmark to say, look, I'm sticking with it. I'm enjoying it. And I hope that all of you who are either new or old listeners are enjoying it as well. So for this 100th episode, well, no, I didn't have anything special planned. It's just something special happened already. The League Cup final was outstanding. I'm going to spend this episode talking about that, talking about Keppa, talking about the storylines that really clouded everyone's view of what was an outstanding game of football. Outstanding. But first, I have to mention what is going on in Ukraine. Not a politician, not really interested in wading into all the specifics of it at all. That's not what this podcast is for. And to be honest with you, the situation is confusing enough as it is. I do want to mention a couple things. First of all, this is horrible. Uh, There's no reason for this to be happening from, from the looks on the outside of it. And yeah, we stand with Ukrainian people to be able to get out of this as safely as possible, lowest amount of casualties. It's just something needs to happen for this to end as fast as possible. Now, where I, I've had really mixed emotions about people's reactions to this recently. I think it's, it's a major part of the way I also do this show is I take a look at what the media says about players, teams, games, the narratives they come up with, and sometimes basically just try and get in the way of the negativity um, and actually provide a little bit more context and color to what's going on so that people don't sort of fall into these traps where they stereotype certain people or things based on very little evidence and just because, say, Gary Neville said something, right? With regards to this conflict, I think it's really interesting how the global community and the global football community has sort of mobilized to voice their opinions that Russia and Russian teams should not be participating in, whether it's the Europa League, Conference League, or the World Cup, due to this conflict. And to be honest, I have nothing against that perspective or that idea or that position to take, really. I, that, that's fine with me. I do have to say it feels bizarre that the United States was able to occupy Iraq and Afghanistan during the 2006, 2010, 2014 World Cups, and no one ever said a word, right? And I, I'm not trying to sick people on onto every single thing that they can latch onto and protest, but I just think these are things that we need to think about. Are we being consistent here? Is this just an anti-Russia, Cold War-style view? I, I believe a lot of the Russian people hate what's going on, especially with all the sanctions that are being brought on them. It's going to be really, really tough for, for Russian civilians as well. Nowhere near what it's going to be like for Ukrainians. And I'm very happy to hear that a lot of countries have also taken in Ukrainian refugees. The one thing that bothers me is, and I mentioned this because Robert Lewandowski came out and strongly stated, we will not play you know, against the Russians because we can't ignore what's going on. And I think that's absolutely right. That's, that's fine. But Robert, your country, Poland, shut the door to any refugees from Afghanistan um, and now are opening yourselves with wide open arms to Ukrainians. And this is where I start to get really disappointed is that 
I love the support that is being given to Ukraine right now. But it's not consistent with other countries that also deserve that kind of support. This is not a football issue, but seeing the way people are reacting in the football world, it does give you a greater understanding of the general population of the globe and the way they see things. For instance, everything that's going on at Chelsea with Roman Abramovich, it's bizarre to me, right? Uh, that the MPs in the UK are coming out and saying things like we need to freeze the assets of Roman and that means Chelsea as well. To me, these sound like political power plays and they are not helpful. Uh, from everything I understand about Roman Abramovich, he was actually born in Ukraine. Um, his mother was Ukrainian. Uh, from, this is from what I understand. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, he's Jewish. He's not someone who is trying to prop up Putin for war. So to go after him just because he's Russian, wealthy, and owns Chelsea Football Club, again, it's missing the point entirely. And in a time of war, it's important that we don't miss the point because that's how conflicts get worse. So it's just something for everyone to keep in mind. I want to move on from this because obviously in the coming days, coming weeks and months, a lot more is going to happen. And hopefully war ends soon, as soon as possible. All right. Moving on to the match, because this was incredible. First of all, the League Cup. Uh, I keep hearing every season, every year, that nobody cares about this trophy, that the managers have no desire to win it. Jurgen Klopp has been derided for years now for not taking it seriously, not taking domestic cup competitions seriously. And then meanwhile, that evening, you know, on talk radio or all over the shows, people are like, who cares about this tournament? You don't even bother. It doesn't matter. And then all of a sudden the final comes around and you take a look at what it meant at Wembley. I mean, what a spectacle that was. 80,000 people. Everyone was into it. The players included. The quality of the play was amazing. The intensity, the feel of it. I mean, this was fantastic. And it's the League Cup final. So what, what's interesting to me is my view of the League Cup final it, I get transported back to Mourinho's first season at Chelsea when Liverpool and Chelsea met in that final. And one thing that Mourinho brought to English football was an I don't care what match it is, I'm sending a strong out team out and we are going to win. That's We want to win every single game. And the League Cup had been one of those tournaments that, you know, not very many people cared too much about it for a while. And then all of a sudden Mourinho comes in and says, no, we want to win this. And so then when you meet Liverpool in the final and Liverpool understand, oh, Chelsea really want to win this. Well, you know, we also want, we don't want them to just roll us over. So we have to want to win this. As soon as one team decides this is important to us, someone else is going to react and say, well, it's also important to us. So we want to win. And I think that what you saw from Klopp and Tuchel and their teams was genuinely a desire to win this game for their fans, for the club, for themselves. And not just, you know, a cup match that people don't really care about or tune into. The football was absolutely fantastic. This is what makes the game beautiful. A nil-nil in like any other sport, right, would be a total dud. Some unwatchable affair that where nothing happened. But that's what makes football great is that you can have these games where the ball just doesn't go in, but everything else seems to happen and is so compelling and so interesting. As a Chelsea fan, look, it sucks to have lost. It, it really, especially after all that play, sometimes you just get 
ah, disappointed. It's like, man, but someone had to lose. Someone had to win, someone had to lose. And I would hope that the vast majority of the Chelsea players have no regrets because I think everyone played really well. Pulisic should have scored. Mount should have scored. But Salah should have scored. Lukaku was an arm offside, which I think is kind of, you know, not really that fair. But Virgil van Dijk, a sort of fouling Reese James to deny Liverpool the goal that they scored. Look, it felt like a lot of things were even trade-offs. Maybe the only one that's not totally fair is Nabi Keita probably should have got a red card. I mean, I'm not someone who really wants to see players sent off for almost nothing, but uh, that, that was pretty bad. And also, the reality is, if Nabi Keita steps right on Trevor Chalaba's foot or his ankle or, like, you know, his calf or shin the replays are going on and on and they're saying this has to be a red card. But because both of their feet were high in the air, it was kind of maybe accidental. It's a little weird, right? And I don't think very consistent. You'll see that given as a red card more often than you won't. Okay, that can you can have gripes on that. But then beyond that, when you get to the penalty shootout and every single outfield player scores and it comes down to the goalkeepers, I mean, again, how can you really have any regrets? That is the storyline, though, that seemed to dominate. And when I say that, I mean Kepa in goal. Poor guy. Honestly, he he's... Kepa Rizabalaga. He is basically like a multifaceted character of his own story, and he's every character in the story. It, 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 and it's... It's really bizarre. He's a victim of his own track record. He's a victim of his own successes, failures, and also things that are completely out of his control. And that's what makes him such an interesting character for this. I mean, from a storyline perspective, it was very difficult to look away from Kepa. And I totally understand the reasons why. If you go back to the Carabao Cup final in 2019 under Maurizio Sarri when he chose not to be substituted. I mean, that was amazing to see. He's waving his finger. No, Sarri's blown on the sideline, completely blown up. I mean, he's walking around. He almost goes into the dressing room. He comes back. Caballero stands up. He sits down. He stands up. He sits. I mean, it was an amazing thing to see. But unfortunately, because they lost that game, and then because Kepa had a really bad season under Frank Lampard, his stock plummeted, and he sort of became just the subject of ridicule. What's interesting about Kepa in this whole story is, like, he is the protagonist. He's also his own antagonist. He's also the confidant. He's the foil character. Um, he's dynamic, and he's changing, and, 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 and a character that seems to be going somewhere. And then also static and the same and un unchanging at the same time. It's like... He's split between being a character in a sitcom who just stays the same and being a character in a series that evolves. It's it's bizarre. I say this because think about it. I mean, he was brought in for a fee that was the world record for a goalkeeper. Not his fault. Chelsea went and paid Atletico Bilbao that money. Atletico Bilbao demanded it. Chelsea paid it. And that's the tag he came with. When I first saw him, I was like, this guy's not a very big guy. Like, it's not desperately necessary for goalies, but it certainly helps, especially in the Premier League. And it was amazing to see him do certain things brilliantly and then certain things 
not as well. And then when he started to lose his confidence because of the pressure, because of some of the performances, because of the stories around him, he became a sort of the butt of a lot of jokes, despite being someone who was doing his best in every way to find a way to succeed despite all this pressure. It, it's, it's so interesting because things seem to come full circle in a very public way for Kepa all the time, right? You have you know, the Carabao Cup from two years ago where he refuses to be subbed off for Willie Caballero, who had a very good penalty record, and then he loses. So everyone blames him, right? Fast forward two years, and he has won Chelsea the European Super Cup by coming on in the final minutes of the game, replacing Edouard Mendy, and winning the shootout. Won two shootouts as well in the League Cup campaign moving up to this final. And if you don't, if you didn't see it, against Plymouth Argyle in the FA Cup, he made a penalty save in overtime, in the second overtime period, to hand Chelsea a win. Edouard Mendy has only one notable penalty save that anyone can think of. And that was in the African Nations Cup final, and it was a very poor penalty, an easy one to save. So we, we take all this into context, and it just makes for something that media personalities, pundits, they just cannot get enough of Kepa. They can't get enough of him, and they can't get enough of either throwing him under the bus or sort of laughing about how things like this just seem to keep happening with him. But I have to give the guy a lot of credit. He stands up tall. He always shows up. And whether he plays well or not, you can see a sense of belief that he has in himself, which I just find impressive despite all the pressure he's under all the time. And how much he's pretty much, this, uh, like I said earlier, he's kind of just the subject of ridicule for a lot of people. Look, if everyone wants him to fail, then that's what they'll see. They'll only see failure. But if you are a little bit more objectively reasonable about Kepa, you'll see that he's also succeeding at the same time. He's not as good as Edouard Mendy, I think, as a all-around goalkeeper, no. But I have seen him do some amazing things in shootouts and with penalties. So what Tuchel did, the decision he made, there was full buy-in from the team, clear full buy-in from Edouard Mendy, and really overall, we just need to think about how we view certain players and why. And I think a lot of people have decided Kepa, bad, not good goalie. Oh, supposed to be good on penalties? Mm, didn't save a single one. A lot of people said this. They were like, he was brought on to save penalties. He didn't save one. Never mind the fact that Liverpool's penalties were pretty much all absolutely spotless and perfect. Oh, and can we remember King Kelleher did not save any penalties either. Like, this is a very important thing to remember. The final score of the penalties was 11-10, to 10, and the only player who missed was Kepa, and he shot it over the bar. So Kelleher didn't make any saves. I think that Kepa's uh, technique and run-up for his penalty was wrong. It, as soon as I saw him taking a short run-up, I thought to myself, he's going to miss this because it didn't, it didn't look good. That's, that's it. I think he should have adjusted his technique to something that made a lot more sense to put the ball just on frame. He didn't. They lose. But again, Keegan Kelleher did not save a single penalty. So why is it that Kepa has become such a scapegoat? It's it's kind of bizarre. It's a reality that, you know, he he can't seem to get out of. 
And I don't know what it's going to take for Kepa to get out of this light because he has not built a whole ton of equity and credit for his reputation. It's almost like because of the fee and then because of the season under Lampard, he will always be viewed as a goalkeeper that failed unless he turns into David De Gea, which, let's be honest, that's not easy. Of course, David De Gea, when he first started at Man United, he looked lightweight, he looked thin, he looked like he wasn't going to make saves, and became one of the best goalkeepers in the world, especially for a certain time. Definitely one of Man United, definitely Man United's best goalkeeper since Peter Schmeichel. And, you know, you have to you have to admire what he did, but it could also happen with Kepa. He's still young. So, look, I, I just think that all of this was... It, every everything regarding to Kepa is taken in its own context. It's its own story, and he's the main character. And then, if we want, we can talk about other things like the missed chances, like the offside decision, like or the offside decisions, I should say, on Lukaku and on Van Dyke. We can look at the possible red cards, right? I mean, th- these are all real things that happen on the pitch. Kepa played a very small role and somehow has become the big star or the big cheese for everyone to make fun of, really. So I just want to be able to say I stand with Kepa because I love the guy. I wish him the best. I think the position he's in is so, so difficult. He's never really going to satisfy a lot of people. And that's just the way it is. But what I say is fair play to him for always being there, always being counted on, and doing the best he can. There's not much more he can do. So thank you for stopping by. This was episode 100. I really am looking forward to more interviews that I'll be conducting over the next few weeks here. There's some fun guests to to be able to talk to. And uh, more football to come. And like I said at the beginning, we all just have to hope that this war in Ukraine is over as soon as possible, that a ceasefire is reached, that peace is found. I mean, yes. We need that to happen. It's it's causing worldwide chaos. We don't need World War III. We don't want that. And let's just hope that the you know governments and authorities and everyone can do the right things to keep all of humanity safe here and so that we can keep enjoying the fruits of life like a beautiful match of football. Thank you very much. Take it easy.